Paul is speaking. Paul says, and I said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But stand and rise upon your feet, for I've appeared to you for this purpose, to anoint you as a service and witness to the things in which you have seen me and to those to which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you to open their eyes, that they may turn from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. When God saved Paul, he saved Paul for a purpose. And Paul drastically changed his life because he had a new purpose. One of the greatest measures of your conversion is not the fact that you had a, if I can use this terminology, and it's probably not the, the correct way to, 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 to apply it, but the, be, the, the best way to determine your conversion is not that you had a moment or an instance, if you will, of salvation. I'm glad you repented. I'm glad you were baptized in Jesus' name. I'm glad you received the gift of the Holy Ghost and you spake with other tongues. I'm so thankful for that, and I know that is our salvation. But the greatest measure of your conversion is what do you do with your salvation. And so I, I tend to hold my judgment on those that say I'm saved. I want to see the fruits of their labor. And Paul said, this is, or Jesus told Paul, this is what I've called you to do, to open their eyes and to turn them from light, or from darkness to light. Turn them from darkness to light. Hallelujah. Lord, we thank you today from the very moment that we entered into this place until even right now, your presence has been with us, your glory has been here. And God, we have worshipped you, and I believe you are touching hearts. I believe you are convicting, not condemning, but convicting our hearts. And I pray that you would continue throughout the remainder of this message, and even into tonight's service, let your presence be here, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. You may be seated. Hold on to the backs of your seats. We're going to take off fast, and we're going to get to where we want to go. I got a lot to say. I'm sure you can tell by now there's a little different look to the lighthouse. As Brother Lee had told us, the sign was ripped and needed a lot of work. The lights were all out in it. And so we decided if we had to do the work and put it up and we had to make a new face, it was a great time to uh, introduce a new look. And I want to say before I get too deep into this sermon, I want to personally thank Brother Randall Lee for his work in this. He has worked tirelessly. Go ahead. He's worked tirelessly to bring this day to pass. This is not something that started this week. This started three or four months ago. And we have made countless calls, emails, and proofs to our designers. Planning and orders were made. Everything that you have seen had to be ordered and, and planned out. And, and I'm going to tell you, I don't do real well with uh, waiting. I know Christmas is in, you know, just, you know, like three months, maybe a little less. And I, I don't, I don't do well with waiting. I want my presence right now. And we've had so much of this in the wings, but we wanted to have it all together. And so we did that. And there's no way that I could have done all of this rollout by myself. So I say thank you, Brother Lee, for that. At the beginning of this year, if you recall, I preached a series called The Gifts of God or God's Gift to the Church. And one of the sermons in that series dealt with the fact that one of the gifts that God gives to the church is you. 
In that sermon, I vividly remember mentioning the fivefold ministry of pastors, teachers, prophets, evangelists, and apostles. And the understanding was this that the ministry exists to equip you for the church. My role as a pastor is to equip you. I remember saying, I remember preaching in that message that I desired to flip the model of this church upside down. No longer do I want the model to be the pastor or minister just simply teaching a group of people that meet a couple times of a week, but rather I want to have the understanding that everyone in this building is the church. For me, the answer is quite simple. 835 West Terra Lane is not the church. The church is not what the building is. In fact, this building that you sit in simply is a place where the church meets. If you haven't heard me say it by now, then you've missed out on all the things I've been preaching and doing this year. Let me say it again. 835 West Terra Lane, this is not the church. It's simply a place where the church meets. Sometimes we meet in the pavilion at Quail Ridge Park. Sometimes we meet in various high schools for P7 clubs. Sometimes the church meets in your individual home. One of the major changes to our identity through our new logo is the fact that we are no longer highlighting the lighthouse or highlighting a building, if you will, but rather in our new logo, in our new identity, we want it to highlight the light. We chose to maintain the name Lighthouse because it is the name that our community recognizes. It's the name that our community knows. And I will tell you right now, our our, our church name, our brand has a good uh, uh, view in our community. They know the Lighthouse. We've been here a while. Just, what, uh, 56 years, I believe, right now. We've been here a while. So we chose not to change the name. But in reality, if I could give you a little bit of semantics, the truth is we are not a lighthouse, but rather we are a house of light. I've decided I no longer want to focus on the building, if you will. I'm not promoting a building, but in terms I am celebrating, I'm promoting, and I am sharing the light within the building. We are the light of the world. If I could help you out, and it is the sermon title today, I want to highlight the light in the house. The light in the house. There are three things I wish to accomplish today. Number one, I wish that you would know who is that light. I want today before you leave, you would know that Jesus is the light. Number two, I want you to know, I want you to understand, and I want you to realize that you need to receive Jesus the light. You need the light in you. And then number three, I want to join together with others here and I don't want it to just be about the light in my life but I come together to reflect his light for all of our community to see. We are called to illuminate our world. You may feel insignificant. You may feel small but together our light shines and we will light up a dark world. Are you with me today? Can you handle a little bit of preaching today? Let's take off. Let me introduce you to the light. Is that fair? Let's start there. Who is the light? What is the light? How do you describe God? Zane yesterday or day before came up with some crazy 
thought about infinite numbers. He tried to explain it to me, but all I could think about was deer hunting and fishing. My head kind of couldn't wrap around the big vision of his. Maybe he'll be an astrophysicist. I don't know, but that's not what I think. But how do you describe God? How can fallible human language capture the radiance of glory itself? Songs can be sung and poems can be penned and sermons can be transcribed and poetry can be written, but none of that will come close to describing God or seeing God as he really is. If you want to know God, you have to start at the beginning, but in our mind, you have to start before the beginning. You start the journey long before time itself begins. You've got to walk reverently into what I believe Ezekiel called the garden of God. It's the heavenliness of God's domain. It describes where God was. And in the middle of nothing, in the middle of no creation, there was God and his habitation. This unknowable and unsearchable God who was by the very definition light itself dwelled on a holy mountain. You can read it in Ezekiel chapter 28 where it gives you a glimpse into that holy place and his presence. We would say day and night angels would attend to Jehovah. But in reality there was no night and there was no day. Those angels would worship him. Those angels would give him glory. It was in that place as they looked at this Jehovah who was light. And that light reflected a thousand times over innumerable angels that he was there. It was incredible. And when you read the Bible and they tried to describe God before time begins, it's hard to understand. When they describe God, they use terms like fire, blazing, burning, light, golden, Every description that they use to describe this God manifests a sense of illumination. And so it was that God began to go and in the darkness of infinite space God came and the, if you will in the unspoken verse that would have preceded Genesis chapter 1 verse 1 it would have read something like this before the beginning there was nothing simply a vast infinite chaotic void but God created the heavens and the earth God came and where there was darkness he spoke and when he spoke light existed Existed. The creator spoke and in his words were the very essence of light. His words contain more creative power than any of earth's science combined. God said, let there be light. And there was light. Illumination. Brightness. Here's the thing. There wasn't a sun yet. There wasn't stars yet, no moon yet, no supernovas yet. Nothing in your mind that would, that would say that's where the light came from. It came from God because he himself is the light. So he said, let there be light, and there was. Still, it was an earth without much beauty, still a formless mass of water and rock, if you will, and God divided the light from darkness. Day and night came, and the first day ended. On the second day, he called for a division of the atmosphere from earth so that man would have something to breathe and protect himself. It was a good day, he said. On the third day of the earth's existence, God spoke to the land and it shifted and rearranged itself and dry land appeared and oceans came. And by his voice, the land grew grass and trees. It started to look like something you and I might recognize. 
on the fourth day he spoke to light and darkness and assigned the division of light instead of just the concept of light if you will he arranged a sun to shine and provide life sustaining heat for you and I moons and stars to create the black drop of space the fifth day he created sea animals and birds the sixth day of creation he brought land animals into existence and as he drew to a close the God of light bent down to earth and formed mankind breathing his own breath into the nostrils of Adam man became a living soul and on that seventh day God rested and he said it is good I would propose to you that absent creation, there was only darkness and formless voids. It was on that scene that God stepped into the edges of heaven and spoke and his creative power banished the darkness. In one timeless instance, darkness was defeated. Yet in the darkness that would lurk, hiding in the shadows and wicked hearts of men, that darkness would wait for a time to pop out and reclaim its kingdom. The paradise of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden was darkened by sin. Lucifer, the fallen angel, came and he found Adam and Eve and introduced into their lives the blackness of transgression, shame, and guilt. They sinned. They, 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 they coveted. They ate the fruit that God said not to eat. They were cast out and the earth grow, grew dim. From Adam and Eve to Cain's murder of Abel, the Tower of Babel and Noah, the world would lose more and more of his light. Spiritual darkness would creep in and floods would fill the earth with sinful nature. There were bright spots here and there. Oh sure, there was Enoch who walked with God and did not die for God took him home. There was Noah who saved the human race from utter destruction with an ark of gopher wood. And there was Abraham who God called out of, of Ur and led his family into the light of God. But as Abraham gave way to Isaac and I could, Isaac to Jacob, darkness still had a hold of humanity. There is a constant struggle of the sinful nature and a desire to serve the God of light. It goes. It's exhausting to read. Read it through Genesis all the way to the end of the Old Testament. But somewhere in the middle of humanity's dark sin, it never ceases to amaze me that God has grace and mercy abundant. Joseph, cast away by his brothers, sold into slavery in Egypt, God shone on him. He saved the entire Egyptian dynasty from destruction. And even that bright spot, though, was destined to fade. There arose another Pharaoh, one that didn't know God, one that didn't know Joseph. And darkness descended once again. For 430 years under the weight of a taskmaster's whip and cruel bondage. It was a dark time where Egypt would take their own baby sons away. And they would murder them. God allowed a bright spot to shine when Moses was born. Hidden in the bulrushes. Floated down the Nile River. Moses prepared to call God's people out of bondage. It would take time. It would take a journey. There will be a murder. There'll be exile. There'll be a burning bush in a wilderness. But God will speak to Moses like God would speak to a human all the way. It had not been that way for centuries. But he spoke. Moses comes back. Ten plagues later. The death of the Egyptian firstborn. Families weeping. God's chosen people finally walked free. They walked out of darkness into his marvelous light. Literally. The Bible says during the night 
pillar of fire led them during the day, a pillar of smoke. Red seas parted, dry land appeared. There was a mountain called Sinai, Ten Commandments giving. Moses even got to see the hinder parts of God and then he had to cover his face because just seeing the back of God caused him's face to glow and be so bright he covered his face. But mutterings, rebellion, disobedience would mark their travels. Their journey to the promised land would be on hold for 40 years. They wandered round and around. Finally, God would lead them across the Jericho River or the Jordan River into the promised land. And he promised, I will be with you. He said, I will shine on you if you'll just obey my word. But even that's too hard to do. The children of Israel barely got through defeating Jericho and conquering their promised land when they found themselves in darkness once again. The very foe that they should have defeated wound up defeating them over and over again. A roller coaster of sin, consequences, repentance would be repeated time and time again. Kingdoms came and went. Saul tried to bring the kingdom together, but jealousy and rebellion would tarnish his kingdom. David was anointed and he followed God and his light shone bright, but even he was not immune to the darkness of sin. Solomon would have the opportunity to build the grandest uh, temple ever constructed and it seemed perhaps for once in their life God would have a place to dwell unmarred by evil but Solomon couldn't stay away from ungodly women and darkness descended once more and the once bright kingdom of David and Solomon plunged into civil war now divided into two kingdoms Israel and Judah and the roller coaster spun wildly out of control God's children found themselves destined for destruction. And while you can look through the first and second kings and the Chronicles, you can find a few bright spots here and there. There's a few kings that tried to pull it back together, a few prophets that taught the truth, but this time the blackness of man's heart, the darkness of man's existence waxed stronger and stronger, and the evil far outweighed the righteous, and God's heart is grieved as humanity hurtles down the abyss of time, and it grows ever darkness, and when you reach the end of the Old Testament, there's not much life or light left. In fact, I don't know if your Bible says it. Many of the Bibles I have do. When you turn the last page of the Old Testament and before you open the New Testament up, there's maybe a page there and it will simply say something like this, 400 years of silence. For 400 years between the Old and the New Testament, nothing. Since the world began there had never been a darkness like this no voice of God no prophet no word just tattered remnants of religion and tradition it seems there's no glimmer of hope is this the end has mankind in the darkness of sin gone too far but somewhere in that I hear the words of Isaiah uh, Isaiah echo through time for unto us a child is born and unto us a son is given and the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called wonderful counselor the mighty God the everlasting father and the prince of peace have an angel appearing as you turn the page to the New Testament. You have an angel appearing to one of the priests in the temple named Zacharias. He and his wife way too old to bear a child. But they're promised a son whose name would be called John. And John was destined to shine. 
Elizabeth, Zacharias's wife, John's mother, had a cousin who was just about to get married. But before she could get married, an angel appeared unto her. Her name was Mary. Mary, you're highly favored. The Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. You've found favor with God, and you shall conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. But, but Mary sputtered. I've never known a man. How can it be? I'm not married yet, but it says the Holy Ghost will come upon you. The power of the highest shall overshadow. It will happen because of God. And Mary ponders these things in her heart, and darkness reigns, and then in a dark night in Bethlehem, a star appears. The men of knowledge and learning begin to follow that star. Three wise men, if you will, from Persian lands pack it up. They come and they follow a star because light always brings people to it. Oh, it wasn't just the star that they saw that began to illuminate this new time but there was some shepherds in a field and it was the Bible says that while they were in the field the days were accomplished that she should be delivered she brought forth her firstborn son wrapped him in swaddling clothes laid him in a manger there was no room in the inn shepherds abiding in the field keeping watch by night and lo the angel of the Lord came upon them and the glory of the Lord shone round about them it was amazing. They go and they see. They see this one born. Eight days pass. It's time for the circumcision. There's an old man at the temple when they bring Jesus to be circumcised. His name was Simeon and he had been promised by God and you can read it that he would not die until he had seen the light of the world. Mary and Joseph entered into the temple and Simeon puts out shaking hands of age and holds that child named Jesus and he blesses God and he says I can die in peace for I have seen your salvation this light to light the Gentiles and the glory of Israel and what a light it is John said it this way in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God and the same was in the beginning with God and all things were made by him and without him was not anything made and in him was life and the life was the light of men and the light shineth in the darkness and the darkness comprehended him not and there was a man sent from God whose name was John and he came to bear witness of the light that all men should believe John is not the light he was sent to bear witness of the light that this true light that lighteth every man that cometh into the world. He was in the world, the world was made by him and the world knew him not. He came unto his own and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave him the he power to become the sons of God even that believe on his name. They're not born of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, but they're not born of men, but of God. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten, full of grace and truth. There's a sad verse in there, though. It's verse 5. That Jesus is the light that shined in the darkness. He was the light in the manger and beyond, but the darkness comprehended it not. There were too many in the darkness of world of the world and humanity's sin. Darkness had too much of a hold, and they were blinded even when the light showed up. But for those who would be willing to see, for those who would be willing to pay attention, well, there was water turned to wine, blind eyes open, 
deaf ears unstopped, withered hands restored, even the dead brought back to life. Water was walked on, storms were conquered, thousands were fed, bread was multiplied, lepers were cleansed and sin forgiven. And that last one caused a coronary in the Pharisees. They could not see the light because of the darkness that consumed them. For that cause, the Pharisees and the Sadducees would spend three years conspiring to rid the world of the light. Several times they tried, but it was not in God's timing. There were secret meetings, a sack of silver, a garden bathed in moonlight, a betrayer's kiss, a lopped off ear, and finally Jesus in the hands of an evil, darkened people. Trials that scoffed at any hint of justice. There was witnesses paid off, prosecutors that only told the tattered versions of the truth, and all the while Jesus, light of the world, standing in their midst. Their worship was a crown of thorns and a scourging that went beyond the mind's ability to comprehend pain. A purple robe shoved uncaringly over Jesus' head, a cross procured and dropped on the shoulders of Christ, and now the shoulders that had held the weight of the world now held the weight of the sin of the world. A slow and noisy procession down the Via Dolorosa, concluding at the summit of an executioner's hill. Three crosses, one greater than the two, stand silhouetted. Blood flows down from the cross, staining the world below. An epic cry from the lips of Jesus. It is finished. And darkness. Darkness covers the sun hides its face. The moon doesn't come out. The world is plunged into darkness. And maybe for a moment, someone thought, has it finally happened? Light, holy, completely has been extinguished. Three days. The earth holds its breath to see if it would end. But just as a great star, an angelic explosion marked the birth of our Savior, there's a white burst of lightning around a tomb, and Jesus steps out in full resurrection. An earthquake received Jesus into death, but an earthquake heralded the resurrection. An angel appeared over the tomb. Light explodes over veteran soldiers, and they can't hardly decide what to do. Their minds are blown. They're ill-prepared to handle a risen Savior walking out of a tomb. He's alive. I'm trying to hit the whole Bible in case you haven't figured it out yet. It's hard to preach it. I mean, I'm literally taking you from Genesis to Revelation, but I can take you to Christmas to Easter and the whole time he's alive, and that just simply enters us into the greatest chapter of humanity. Another angelic encounter destined for those who believe. It's two angels on a hillside looking down at a gathering of believers while they crane their neck upwards looking at a Jesus that is now being transfixed and transfigured back into heaven and they're craning waiting to see one last glimpse of the light as the clouds swallow him up. Why do you stand here gazing? The angels ask. This same Jesus who is going to heaven will return in like manner. Go, wait in Jerusalem. There's a promise of God for you. This is Acts chapter 1. Are you ready? In a darkened room, the promise came. It was accompanied by a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. Acts chapter 2. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire. Watch this. And when the church was born, light came. 
One by one they were filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost, began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance, and it began to spread. 120 then 3,000, then 5,000. Throughout the neighborhoods of the believers, the light began to grow. For eight years, it spread among the Jewish nation. But eight years after that time, there on the day of Pentecost, the light was shown in a man's house by the name of Cornelius. And the Gentiles got to receive that light from Jerusalem to Antioch, from Tarsus to Iconium. The light grew. Philippi and Macedonia, Thessalonica and Athens, even to Corinth it spread, to Rome, to Malta, to Sicily, to Crete, to Ethiopia, the light so shone. Because Jesus' ultimate words have to come to pass in the lives of you and I when he said several times in his word, I am the light of the world and he that follows me shall not walk in darkness but have the light of the world. So I ask you my third question. Or my second question, rather. I've just introduced you who the light is. Here's my second question. Is he in you? How can it be, you ask? How can Jesus be the light of the world, but yet now you're saying the church is the light of the world? It's really quite simple. If you become the children of the light, you reflect Christ. John chapter 12 says it this way. Jesus said to them, the light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in darkness doesn't know where he's going, but if you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of the light. John chapter 14 teaches us what happens when we receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. It's an incredible union, and I preached about it. He says very simply, when you receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, he said, I will be in you, and you will be in me. But he also said this, Matthew chapter 5, verse 14, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. People don't light a lamp and put it under a basket, but they take the light, put it on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. So in the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. I'm here today to tell you this, the purpose that you receive the light, the whole reason he came and filled you with the Holy Ghost, it's not just for you it's for everyone you show his light to. You've got to join together with others here. It's what the congregation represents. You join together with others and we reflect his light for all of our community to see. That light, or that war rather, between light and darkness still rages. So I ask you, shine. Romans 13, 12, the, the night is far gone. The day is at hand. Let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Luke eleven thirty three echoes the same words of Jesus. No one's going to light a lamp and put it in a basement or under a basket. Put it on a stand that all who enter may see the light. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 8. You may once have been in darkness, but now you're the light of the world, so walk as children of the light. It's Colossians 1 and 12. He's qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints of the light. He delivered you from a domain of darkness and transferred you into the kingdom of his beloved son and so I say to you today as I share my heartbeat and vision for the Lighthouse Church together we shine oh I know you're saying pastor this is a little bit different sermon you're, 
I get it. But the beauty of his light is that he never intended for you to shine alone. I have a Horton Hears a Who complex. Sometimes I feel like I'm the only one around that can do something. How can I shine in such a dark world? How can one person after out of some seven billion people shine? God spoke to me very clearly this summer at North American Youth Congress, an incredible event held there at the Dome in St. Louis. Some 37,000 people gathered. I sat in one of the worship services and I saw a very cool scene unfold. It was at that place that God spoke to me. I want to share the video. During the song about the light, some 30,000 people begin to turn on the flashlight on their phone. Some of you older people, you just use dark, you just use lighters. Now we're technologically advanced. You say, well, that don't look very spiritual. All right, believe what you want to believe. Let me tell you what God told me. He spoke to me very clearly in that dome because that dome was very dark during that time. Only the stage lights were on. I was sitting up in the, in the kind of where the bleachers are, if you will. And when they begin to turn on those lights, no one told them to. It was young people. I get it. But across the way, I saw one light come on. And then I saw another light and another light and another light until that was what you saw. And there sitting up in the bleachers where it was dark, I couldn't have read a book if I tried. But when over 30,000 people turned the little light on their phone on, I could see clearly. I could read anything I wanted to read there. And God spoke to me sitting there. And he said, that's what the lighthouse is called to do. Shine your light. Shine it. Join it with the lights of others. And together you will light your world. I can't do it on my own. I can't be the only one going out there and shining. I can't be the only one teaching Bible studies. I can't be the only one shining. It's not going to happen if you're waiting on little old Brandon Buford. My light's not that bright, but oh, when I get near somebody else and you begin to shine and I get around somebody else and you begin to shine, look what happens. Perhaps you've noticed by now that on many of our new printed materials, and even throughout this service on the screen, there have been abstract backgrounds containing blurred dots. This is a photographic uh, phenomenon, if you will, that's called bokeh. One definition in, that is in photography, bokeh, is the aesthetic quality of a blur that's created or produced by out-of-focus images produced by a lens. In fact, bokeh has been defined as the way the lens renders out of focus points of light. You take a camera and you shine it. One of the most famous ones, if you will, is you can go to your Christmas tree and you can focus a camera on it and you can begin to turn it out of focus and all those little points of light get blurred and it creates the bokeh effect. Just hang with me for a moment. Judges chapter 7, verse 15. Let me tell you about Gideon's bokeh. 
Gideon heard the telling of the dream, its interpretation. He comes back. He divided the 300 men that he had. Remember, he started with thousands, and God had whittled it down. Now he only has 300 men to fight against the entire army of Midian. But he goes there, and he divides the 300 men into three companies, and he put trumpets into one hand of each of the men, and there were jars that they had, and there were torches inside the jars. And he said, look at me and do likewise. When I come to the outskirts of the camp, do as I do. When I blow the trumpet, you blow the trumpet. And so Gideon took a hundred men. He divided into three companies. Gideon took a hundred of the men who were with him and came to the outskirts of the camp. And right there, just at the beginning of the middle watch, they began to blow the trumpets and they smashed the jars that were in their hands. And the three companies blew their trumpets and broke their, their jars. And they held in the left hand their torches and the right hand the trumpets to blow. And they cried and every man stood their place around the camp and the army why did they run? It wasn't because Gideon was blowing a trumpet or holding a, a torch. One man doing that would not have struck fear into the army of Midian. But I tell you today, it's when every one of them did the exact same thing and they begin to shine their light. Listen to me very carefully. The light of God has never been about you and it's never been about me. Quit trying to get your light in focus for all the world to see you. The light's not about you. The light's about him. The light's not about this church. The light's about him. The light's not about the organization. The light is about him. Reflect him together and when you shine in unison, the whole world sees. So it is that at church a little girl by the name of Jane had listened to a sermon, and that's not my mom, but had listened to a sermon where the preacher preached, let your light shine. She heard the text. She understood what was said but she didn't really know what the sermon was about until her mother said it very simply to the little girl letting your light shine means to be good and obedient and cheerful later on in that afternoon in, the, in their house there was some trouble in the kids rooms a bunch of noise and fighting going on and Jane hung her head and walked out of the room and put her nose in the corner and she said mama I blowed myself out. Or it's like the night before they had automated train track crossings. There would be men tasked to stand at the crossings with a, a lantern. And when the train was coming, they were to flag cars coming and let them know a train was coming. But one night, a motorist was struck by a train at a grade crossing. And in the court, and in the trying to figure out what happened, that old signalman in charge of the crossing had to appear in court. After a severe cross examination, that man was unshaken and he said, I waved my lantern frantically, but it was to no avail. The following day, the superintendent of the train. Uh, of the railroad came, called him and said thank you, you did wonderfully well yesterday in the court, thank you for, for explaining what happened that old man said yeah I was afraid though that that old lawyer was going to ask me whether or not my lantern was lit you can bluster and you can sputter all you want 
but the proof is going to be in the light you shine. You can say I'm a Christian, you can say I'm a churchgoer, you can say I live for God, you can say I'm saved, but if there ain't no light coming out of your lantern, all you're doing is waving something that ain't going to matter. We're living in a dark time, my friend. We're living in a day where darkness, if ever darkness has raised its ugly head, it's raising it right now. But my God has told you and I, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you should proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Jesus looks at you and I, and he says, I am the light of the world, and whoever will follow me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of light. And I hear the echoing of the psalmist in Psalms 27, 1. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? I invite you to stand tonight, this morning, wherever we're at. Some of you think I've preached long enough for it to be tonight. I ask three simple questions. Do you know the light? Do you have the light? Are you sharing the light?